Good morning, friends. It's so good to see you this morning. I'm Chris Florence, Senior Associate Pastor of Shepherding and Discipleship here at Westminster. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, so glad to see you. We're continuing our sermon series in 2 Corinthians this morning, and guess what? We've made it to chapter 12. And so I encourage you to find that on the Bible provided for you in the pew on page 970 or turn in your own Bibles, or we'll have the passage on the screen behind me in just a moment. Well, as we look at this, if you're joining us for the very first time today, one of the things to know about the letter of 2 Corinthians is Paul wrote it to the church in Corinth because there had been some attacks against Paul. There had been some criticisms of Paul by these super flashy apostle wannabes, and they had written that Paul was very weak and tried to get other people to understand how weak Paul was, and therefore he should be dismissed as a real apostle of the Lord. So Paul writes the letter of 2 Corinthians to the church to talk about and to defend himself against these accusations of weakness. And in fact, the passage we're going to look at today is the crescendo of 2 Corinthians. Crescendos are wonderful aspects of music where you know the the music is slowly building in intensity and volume until it gets to its loudest point in the piece, which is the crescendo. And here we see Paul doing that as he talks about the criticisms against him regarding weakness. So what does he say and what does it have to do with you and me? Well, let's turn our attention to God's Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told on behalf of or which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Let's pray. Ask the Lord to be with us as we study His Word. Father, as we open Your Word, we ask that You would be with us this morning and show us beautiful things from this portion of Your law. We ask for Your grace and mercy. We need You. Strengthen us in our weaknesses. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, many of you, including myself, enjoy going to the beach every year. It's beach season, right? We are about, many of us are about to head off to the beach to enjoy many things, just the relaxation, being with family, 
sitting on the beach, whether you enjoy being in the surf or just sitting there listening to the surf, the surf is very enticing, isn't it? Just to hear the sounds of the crashing waves, to see the breaking of the waves, the, the beautiful water. Sometimes it's coming up to us and other times it's ebbing out. And we just love all that the surf represents to us. And it draws us to it, doesn't it? Even if you don't like to spend all your time in the water, you often want to get up and spend a little bit of time, just go into it a little bit. Because the surf is beautiful and it draws us. But there's also something that happens in the surf that parents usually warn their children about, right? What is it called? It's the undertow, the riptide, or the rip current, right? We use one of those three terms to remind them that as beautiful as the water is, the surf is, there is this hidden, unexpected danger. And a rip current is this narrow current that's usually quite strong where as the water comes up to the shore, right, it, there's this narrow channel that much of it returns to uh, back out into the ocean. And it can be strong enough to have a current of about six miles an hour, which is stronger than it, the, the best Olympic swimmer can swim. And so it's a danger that many, particularly parents, are concerned that their kids will be caught in and they'll begin to panic and there's a lot of teaching for us about when we go to the beach how to get out of rip currents. But it's an interesting dynamic to think of something so beautiful, so attractive, but yet it has this pull to it that can be very deadly. And Paul's talking about something very similar here when he's discussing with the Corinthians the rip current of narcissism. Well, where do we see that? We see it in verse 7. Did you catch it when we were reading it a minute ago? Paul said, so to keep me from becoming conceited or narcissistic because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, and he says it again, to keep me from becoming conceited. Conceited, narcissistic, having excessive pride in ourselves. And so Paul says, we are drawn to it. He was drawn to it. And so we need to understand what the Lord is teaching us here about this temptation to narcissism that we see in the Scripture. And so the Lord's going to show us three things from this passage. First, we're going to see why we're drawn to it, how God protects us from it, and what God is committed to. Why we're drawn, how God protects, and what we're committed to. So let's dive into how we're drawn. Paul just referenced it, and we read about it where he said, to keep him from becoming conceited or narcissistic because of what? The revelations and visions that he had been given. He had been given an incredible gift. And that's what he started off in the beginning of the passage in verse 1. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then it's interesting that he starts talking about someone in the third person. He doesn't even refer to it as himself, but he's talking about himself. But he refers to this person as, this is someone I would boast in. But he's not boasting in that person. He says, what I would rather boast in myself is my weakness. So there's this weird dynamic. So Paul wanted to distance himself from this wonderful, beautiful revelation the Lord had given to him. Because at some point, 14 years prior to writing this, the Lord lifted him up. The third heaven is not some aspect of there's different levels of heaven and the deeper into heaven you get that's a third level versus the first what he's really talking about there is he was in God's presence and he says I don't know if it was 
myself bodily with the Lord or if something the Lord was giving me a unique vision. He said, only the Lord knows that. But it was super transformative in his life. And he saw things that were so magnificent. And he was told by the Lord that he wasn't even allowed to share it. So it's something he'd been holding on to for years, 14 years. He hadn't written about it anywhere else. And he just talks about it now. And he says, I wish I didn't have to, but you forced my hand. If we're going to talk about special gifts of graces, I'm going to mention what the Lord has done in my life. See, we're drawn to narcissism because the Lord gives his people beautiful, wonderful, amazing gifts. But the Lord knows that our heart is so bent with sin that we begin to turn those beautiful gifts into our own successes. See, we're drawn to this because the Lord should give, He gives us gifts that should move us to what? Gratitude, stewardship, right? We're thankful for it. We want to manage it well. But instead, what we are drawn to is we want to be special. You and I want to be unique. We want something about you and I to stand out so people are impressed with us. And we actually begin to believe that for some reason I was given this great gift because there was something good about me, because I did something well. Think about it. That, that happened all the way back even in the Tower of Babel. If you look at Genesis 11, they've been given this wonderful gift of unity as humanity. But what did they say? Listen to this from Genesis 11. Then the people of the world said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us become unique. Let us be famous. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, it's, it's in us. It's in you and me. I want there to be something about me that stands out. And I want you to like it. So when the Lord gives us something nice, we try to make it about ourselves. And it's a dangerous thing. It's, it's something that's a cancer to our soul. The narcissism's a cancer in our soul. And that's why the Lord said in Deuteronomy 8, 17, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand gotten, has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. So that's what you and I do. We are tempted to say, look at all the work I've done to make this happen. Look how I've pleased the Lord to make him give me this great thing. I don't know if you realize this, but over the last many years, mental health professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, all those have been tracking narcissism. And they have noticed through these certain assessment tools that in the last 30 years, the narcissism score in people has gone up 70%. And the empathy score with people has decreased by 40%. And it's not surprising to us. I mean, think about the music that we listen to today. A lot of music in our culture reflects this movement toward what they call self-empowerment. They're self-empowerment songs. Listen to some of the lyrics that, that we love to hear because of how they nurture us toward narcissism. These are just um, lyrics from one song. Just like the world is ours, we're tearing it apart. You know we're superstars. That's who we are. I'm a superstar. I'm tearing this world up. Or as they say today, I'm crushing it. C. 
see how great I am? And in 2005, one song was voted as the favorite song of the world. And you'll probably recognize its lyrics because it tapped into something that all of our hearts want, right? Here's the lyrics. And we'll keep on fighting till the end. We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers. We are the champions of the world. Because that's what we want. See, that's the draw. The good gifts God gives to us draws us in and our hearts take over and we want to say, yeah, I deserved it. I'm a champion. I'm good. And we begin to look down on other people because of it. We become conceited. Think about it. You and I don't have the same special gifts that Paul got. We didn't get these revelations, these visions that the Apostle Paul received. But haven't we received great gifts? Some of us, we receive the gift of grace just to come to faith alone, in Christ alone. I wasn't searching after Jesus, but the Lord opened my eyes to grace and he brought me to himself. But what do we do? Our heart takes that and it bends it and it says, I was smart enough to make the decision to follow Jesus. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you smart enough to do that? It's right before you. Something's wrong with you to not want to choose. And we become condescending. Or perhaps we see that we have a great appreciation and understanding. We become very skilled in Scripture. The Lord's opened our eyes to Scripture, and we, we study it well, and we can communicate it well, and what do we do? We begin to think, I can understand Scripture because I put in the work to it. You don't get it because you're lazy. You don't understand it because you're not willing to put in the time and the effort. There's a problem with you because look how well I can do it. And we look down on other people. Or perhaps you don't struggle in those ways. Perhaps you've had wonderful business success. And you look at others who are working hard, but they're not as successful, and you say, well, look how hard I worked. Look at all I did. You're kind of lazy somewhere because if you really worked hard at it, you could be successful too. See, what we're communicating with that is success has a formula. And if you follow the formula, you're going to achieve it. But remember what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 8. He says, why are you boasting in that? I'm the one that gave you the strength and the wisdom to be successful to begin with. But that's what we do. That's what our hearts do. If we have good health, I was faithful with my, with my body. You have bad health because you struggled with being faithful to your body. You were a bad steward. Or we say, I have great kids because I raise them according to the Lord. You struggle with your children because you're a lazy parent. And we look down on them. And we assume if you're struggling, it's because you weren't faithful enough. I'm successful because I was. The Lord tells us why we're drawn to it. Because you and I want to be unique. But he says it's a cancer and he wants to protect us from it. How does he protect us from it? Look at verse 7 again. So to keep me from becoming conceited, the Lord wrote to me, beware of being conceited. Is that what he said? What did he say? To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, because of that great gift, a thorn was given me. He had a thorn. Now, that word thorn can represent many things in Scripture. It's very broad. It, it's often a splinter or a thorn. It's also used to represent a stake. 
you know, like you drive a stake into something or the head of a spear. It's something that pierces the flesh painfully. And it's used in multiple ways. And he says, I was given this way of suffering in the flesh. Now, that was used as an idiom. He's not saying there was literally some fleshly wound, a physical thing that I experienced. There's been a lot of debate in the church over what's the thorn in the flesh that Paul had. And they talk about everything from a physical malady from his eyesight. They talk about uh, a, a demon that was constantly on his heels trying to oppress him in some ways. They talked about situations like the the uh, oppression that he got from opposition to the church, from unbelievers. All of those have strength to them, and they all have weaknesses to them. And I believe Paul, since he doesn't describe exactly what the thorn was, the Lord is telling us there's a many arrays of ways that thorns are given. See, the Lord loves us enough that he says, I'm going to send hardship into your life, something that's actually going to hurt deeply. To help you remember your weakness so that you're not drawn to narcissism that will be a cancer on your soul. I love you too much to let you go there. I'm going to protect you from your own temptation. But notice what he said. It was a thorn that was given. The Lord allowed it to be given to him, but it's also a messenger of Satan, meaning Satan can only work on the leash that the Lord allows him to work with. Do you notice that? Like he did with Job. Job was tormented by Satan, but Satan had to get permission from God to do it. And so what the Lord is telling us here is that even though the thing that's painful and hurting in our life can have the evil one behind it, the evil one may want to hurt us genuinely, but the Lord is using the evil one's tactics as a way to protect you and me from our own temptation to be narcissistic, to make everything about ourselves Think about how serious the Lord is about this. If the cancer of narcissism is so bad that in order to protect us, the Lord dispatches radiation therapy for that cancer, you know radiation therapy, it taxes you. It ruins your body in order to save you. And the Lord is doing this for us. He protects us. So that may mean that there's a chronic physical situation that you and I go through that the doctors just can't figure out. Or maybe we know what it is and there's no relenting of it. Or it's this relationship that continues to come our way and there's no relenting, it's painful, and you just wish it was gone in your life and you don't know why it continues to be this way despite your best efforts. Or there's going to be some situation you wish you could work on but you can't seem to get free of it. It continues to come. We often tend to think of thorns as evidence of God's anger trying to hurt us and trying to discipline us. But Paul's reminding us that sometimes the thorn is the evidence of God's protection, that he's shielding us from our own hearts, very cancerous, bent. And so think about it. Perhaps you've struggled financially for years. You just can't seem to get ahead. You've worked diligently and hard and been good stewardships and you've had people help you with financial guidance, but yet you seem to make one step forward only to have something happen unexpectedly to have two steps back. You just can't seem to get there. And you wonder why. Or maybe you're struggling with some physical health, as I mentioned earlier, a chronic issue. And you've gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and you don't know what's happening and they don't either. And you just wish there was relief. 
Or perhaps there's difficult people you work with in your workplace. And you just, Lord, you've prayed three times. Get rid of them. And they don't go. Perhaps the Lord's working through that to protect you from yourself. Or maybe you battle with anxiety or depression and you've made great strides, but it seems to just cling a little bit too much and it won't let go. Perhaps the Lord is showing you how much he loves you. And you say, Pastor, that seems so odd. Why would you say that? Doesn't it seem odd that Paul would say, the Lord loved me so much to protect me from this deep cancer in my soul that he kept me at a place where I felt very weak so I would run back to him often. So we see how God protects us, but how, what is his commitment? See the commitment in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you see it there? What the Lord is committed to is to taking you and I to a place where we will stay, where Jesus sets up camp with his power, his grace, his love. He says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to take you to the place where you are going to reside in the power of Jesus so that you're not clinging to yourself, so that you don't take my good gifts, so that you don't make everything about you as if you are the sun in the universe that everything else, even God and all that he does, orbits around. Do you realize that's what we want? And the Lord says, I love you too much to let you go where you want. Children so want to grab a hot iron and press their face against it. But the Lord says, I love you too much to let you do that. And so I may swat your hand to get you away. And so what he says is, I'm committed to you. And there's this image where he says that where the power of Christ may rest upon me. That rest upon me is this image of the Old Testament where the tent of meeting of the Lord would set up his tent and dwell among his people. And he says, I want to take you there so that the power that raised Jesus from the dead. When you think of it from Ephesians chapter 1, it's the resurrection power the Lord is committed to you and I experiencing. In Ephesians 1, look at this later today. In verses 19 and 20, he says, What is this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ? It's the power of Christ. It's the power. He worked in Christ when he, ra when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, heavy of the heavenly places. The very resurrection power of Jesus is where the Lord is taking you and me. He's committed to us being there, even through thorns. When we pray for relief and get crosses, this is what the Lord does. Think of this hymn that John Newton wrote. We don't sing it much, but we should. Listen to these lyrics. I ask the Lord that I might grow. That's the name of it. In faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. It has been in such a way has almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. 
Yea, more with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart and made me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou presume or pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free. I break your schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. And so the Lord is committed to us, finding our all in him. And how do we know that? Because he sent his own son in whom there was no conceit. He was not tempted toward narcissism. He would come as a humble servant, even though he was the king of the universe who created the world, and he would suffer and take the shame and the guilt that we deserve and that we own onto his own body. And his own flesh would be pierced with stakes on the cross. His own side would be pierced by a spear and thorns would be pressed down in his flesh on his head. And he would go to the grave in weakness and come up in power. And so what Paul is saying here in his crescendo in the book is you say weakness is the problem I say weakness is the power because it's the power of the cross of Jesus. He went before me. He died before me. He was humble before me. He was pierced before me. And if the Lord is going to keep me in that place, you know what? I am going to be content with all of those things coming my way. I'm going to be okay with that. Because that in the darkness, in the cloud, in the thunderstorm of the hurts of life is where God dwells and it's where his power is real and it's made perfect for me. And it comes out as he advances his world. See, naturally, you and I feel safe when we're strong, when we're able, and when we're successful. But the Bible's telling us it's unnatural. It's foolish, but it's real that when we're weak, when we have an inability, and when we fail, that's when the power of the gospel is strong. Today, I want to encourage you, consider where are the thorns, where are the stakes in your life that the Lord is keeping you in a place of weakness because he loves you too much to let you become proud. Dear friends, can I tell you that over the last year, I have learned that one of mine is the fact that I have battled with being shamed early on in my life in relentless ways through violence, mistreatment, and I had no idea how much shame was crouching as a thorn in my flesh for years until this past year. I pray, Lord, take it away. The Lord is applying the balm of his grace to it. It hasn't gone away. I will probably wrestle with it for my entire life. But I'm beginning to understand a little bit more this year what power for weakness for the shamed is like. This is our God. This is the crescendo of the book. Do you know this Savior? Where are you trying to find power? 
Let's pray. Father, we come. We cry out to you. Help us. We are weak. We need you. And as we come to this table now, we are reminded that you, the great humble Savior, came in weakness and gave your body on the cross humbly that we might have hope. And in this table, as we come as weak people, you remind us of power. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen.